Why struggle through a post-merger integration when you can glide through it? Why deal with the PMI integration challenges when you can overcome them even before they occur? Why move slow when you can move at pace? What are the world's leading PMI experts doing right now to achieve profit accelerating integrations? This podcast will give you all the answers to these questions and many more. My name is Dudley Peacock and welcome to the 100 Days and Beyond podcast. Welcome to the audience. Uh, we appreciate you joining us today in uh, another episode of, uh, of what I, what I, I really consider um, probably one of the, 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 the few podcasts that focus on those special or unique individuals that get involved with some really interesting stuff. And, 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 and Mitchell is, has got um, uh, this fascinating concept and, and, I, and I'm so looking forward to this, to, to this episode. And, and we're going to talk today about uh, Volta XR. Uh, we're going to talk about um, what, he, what, what I think in your bio you talk about uh, redefining the next generation of interactive entertainment. And um, I mean, you talk about being a, as a full-time technologist and a part-time musician, and thus we need to cover that a bit as well. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm passionate about the confluence of music, technology, and gaming. And that's fascinating to me. And uh, welcome to the show, uh, Mitchell. Thank you for having me, Dudley. Looking forward to being, looking forward to sharing. Yeah, excellent. So, I mean, don't you want to just give us a bit of background? I mean, I can probably go through a bit more on your on your um, LinkedIn bio, but I really just want to sort of let's unpack a bit, sort of the journey. How did you get to where you are right now, and sort of what are you doing right now that that that's so special and unique, and and why it's so intriguing to me anyway? Okay, uh, journey to how I got here, I guess, is a uh, is a rather different story. Um, very, I had a, quite a few different sort of pieces of my upbringing. Uh, I started off as a as a racing driver, um, going all the way through to <clears throat> part of me to Formula Three. Um, then I sort of unfortunately left that world about sixteen uh, when, when sponsorship dried up due to the financial crisis. Uh, it's a very expensive sport to keep on going with, um, and went into the the event world um, and built my own event management business, um, which I actually managed to sell. And it was sort of in around that journey where when music started taking the forefront, I'd already sort of been learning the piano uh along with a number of different instruments um but kind of going into the event space it was seeing how music was then driving people's behaviors and how it was bringing people together um and yeah like i said i, I sold that business um went to went to university studied economics uh where i then went to to become um an investment banker for all my sins um so i started off at goldman sachs then jp morgan and barclays all the nation's favorite banks i guess um but you know all jokes aside i think I had a really, the, the lines were incredible. It really kind of shaped what kind of came next. Um, and, you know, both from what to do um, as well as maybe not what to do um, in terms of company culture and things like that. Um, but I left that world about six, seven years ago um, to co-found my first tech startup, um, second business. And that was a business called Nez that was trying to essentially be the, the Google pay-per-click of the offline space. Um, so rather than sending leads to to a website and you know hoping they convert through a sales funnel, um, ultimately our job was to send footfall, actual people, um, to the high street. Um, so we would send sort of customers to restaurants, bars, retail sites, and monetize those kind of conversions in store and send back the analytics to those partners. So sort of digitize the high street play. And I emphasize that because it is part of the journey to Volta because that's actually where Alex, my co-founder, and I got acquainted um, he actually moved into my apartment when I was on that journey of scaling Nez because he was a user, music marketing manager in the States, moved over to the UK to do his um, his, his master's in innovation uh, where Volta kind of started. But kind of what drew us both together was <clears throat> as a cliche ex-investment banker uh, living in Shoreditch, my, my living room was undoubtedly covered with more decks, speakers, music hardware than there was living space. And Alex being in the music space himself, that kind of drew us together. But, uh, you know, it was a lovely journey because he saw me scaling Nez. I saw him scaling, I was scaling, building the kind of very early constructs of Alter and the prototypes. Um, admittedly, I told him he was um, bark raving mad when he came up with the first I I ideas of it in terms of, to my mind, how much capital you'd need to get it off the ground and and sort of the, the complexities of building a, a 3D interactive music game engine. But I'll, I'll go into that in a second. But anyways, um, the pandemic hit. And as I'm sure you can all imagine, um, a business, a marketplace model 
uh, at least with Nez, that was one side facing the high street, specifically hospitality, uh, and the other other side was facing consumers who were locked at home. Um, we weren't really avo- <laughs> we didn't really afford many. There weren't many available pivots, rather. Um, mm-hmm. So you know, we had gone through five rounds of funding. We got the three hundred KMAU. We were gearing up for a sale. And our best week of revenue was the date before um, lockdown. We had a hockey stick curve and it, of course, came collapsing down. Um, so that was rather savage. Um, but, you know, I'd already been advising Volta. Um, I'd mm. kind of seen a lot of learnings I'd had in the six, five years of scaling theirs of what I wanted to do next. Admittedly, it wasn't another early stage business because, you know, the older you get, you need to start making ends meet. Um, and going from you know investment banking of a large salary to, to zero at NES for the first 18 months was difficult. It burned, you know, all my savings. So... You know, the idea of a prospect going back to another stage, early stage startup post NES was daunting, um, but it had all the ingredients I was looking for. It was my passion for music. It was a market that I, I could see that could be um, not even disrupted as the buzzword, but actually a significant amounts of growth potential with it, within it without having to disrupt the, the norm. Um, and having this idea of un, unshackled geographic scale. Um, most models and businesses I'd worked with always were some degree of locality, whether it was the UK or a city base or something like that. Um, these kind of large-scale geographic models means that, you know, anything on the performance side becomes far more effective. But anyway, enough on background. Uh, I'll do the quick sort of cliff notes on Volta. And actually, I'll continue on as sort of a, as a story, as a journey, because um, it kind of okay. shows a bit, well, a bit more what Volta is if, if people aren't com- un- are uncomfortable with terminologies like the metaverse and 3D interactive and things like that. But, um, so, you know, I sort of joined, I guess, in a more full-time capacity in about April, May of 2020, um, and, you know, we got into Techstars and really that's, uh, where kind of the, 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 story unfolds and it really starts at the beginning of the pandemic. And the reason being is, you know, I mentioned that last startup was facing retail. Well, ironically, music was probably the second hardest hit sector globally, second to retail. Um, and the reason is, is, you know, musicians typically make 80% of their income from live events from a vocalist at a jazz bar to a DJ at a club to a producer at a festival live is their bread and butter. Um, and as we saw as a direct response, you know, the the likes of, dare I say it, Travis Scott and Fortnite and Lil Nas X and Roblox went off to do these virtual reality or mixed reality events in, in yeah, in Fortnite and, 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 and Roblox and the wave and so on and so forth. And, you know, citing Travis Scott's example, he generated 54 million views across 27 million unique users on one single stream. Um, so undoubtedly, touring That's managers. Massive. Yeah, it's, <laughs> It's crazy, right? So touring managers went, holy crap, you know, it would take us over 200 sold out Wembleys to get anywhere near that level of scale. But I can do one performance and generate the same. Um, so, you know, the rest of the sector followed suit and tried to replicate those kind of performances and realized very quickly that in order to make something that was actually compelling to the actual end user, the fan, the, the, you know, the audience, you basically needed to think of it like building, a, making a movie. It's a two-hour feature-length performance, which is all in 3D, all interactive, not interactive, all animated. Um, and that meant significant budgets. You know, if you weren't spending more upwards of $5 million at a top-grade production studio with six to 12 months of lead time and a 50-person advanced film crew, um, what we then saw coming out was 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 pretty, pretty poor. Um, and that kind of shook the sector and everyone went, right, okay, well, there's only the mega stars that can do this. And everyone else, essentially, in 99.9% of the market ended up streaming on YouTube and Twitch. Um, and as we joke internally, you know, watching a 40-year-old white guy DJing from his bedroom with nothing but two decks and a disco ball. <laughs> um, but that whole schism between the world's biggest names and everyone else just got bigger, like a story we know across a you know, plethora of different sectors. Um, and that's really where Volta came into Soul for. Um, so, you know, we built a, a self-serve tool that any creator, no matter how big or small, could simply download for free from our website. Um, it would allow them to create their own 3D interactive experience with a no-code drag-and-drop editor, a bit like a Squarespace where you could, you know, drag in palm trees and spaceships and whatnot. Um, everything's inherently audio reactive. What's that mean? Well, it means that if I'm a vocalist, I can use my microphone the different frequencies like bass and mids and highs to drive different things within your experience. Palm trees can move, logos can appear, spaceship doors can open. You know, these are just different examples. Um, and our your initial use case was very much focused on live streaming. So helping those people who were streaming on YouTube and Twitch mm. compete with those that were, you know, that had the budgets to do these crazy activations. Um, but our North Star was always, you know, being a camp of musicians, everyone in the company has some degree of a music background. We love live. We don't think digital can replicate live, at least for another 
20, 30 years. So our North Star was always, and our interest was always around how do you link local physical audiences that are present in venue with global digital audiences simultaneously? And that is our idea of the metaverse, which is not some black box um, separate kind of entity where avatars are bouncing into walls um, and then running off each other, uh, but it's some integrated system. Um, and that's kind of where we've been pushing on. So, you know, a lot of what we've done in Vaulted today has been hybrid events, both physical and digital simultaneously. Um, you know, the artists can choose where they broadcast the experience. Like I said, can be live in venue, can be live streamed, can be both, can be to any channel, really, a text to stream key. Um, and in that effect, we help artists magnify reach. Um, we bring in global audiences to help with audience interaction. That I'm sure we'll cover on in a bit. Um, and that's been the full circle. So, yeah, we've done everything from Glastonbury Festival to Amnesia and Ibiza to the Brooklyn Mirage in New York with artists like Imogen Heap, Bonobo, Jamie Jones, um, working closely as investors with Richie Horton, Dead Mouse, and, and Post Malone's Electric Feel. Um, so it's been a whirlwind, to say the least. I, I just absolutely love that story. I, that's what fascinates me about, you know, going from racing driver, investment banker, economics, and then getting into, um, you know, it's this, you know, connecting with the right people, connecting with, you know, with the people at the right place at the right time. Although there were a few challenges, I think one of the things that stand out for me is is the is is that mindset ability to say, you know what, shit's just hit the fan. We, I might as well just just make the best of it. You know, there's like it, everything that could possibly go wrong has probably gone wrong. Yeah. Already, there's nothing I can do about it. And um, and I think where why I wanted you on the show was specifically for for the audience's benefit is 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 no matter where you are in your journey in terms of building that that thing, you know, you've got a particular purpose you want to fulfill. What it looks like on the outside is not necessarily always what you initially envision. I mean, you started as you know in racing, and you ended up in investment banking and earning a good money, and then all of a sudden into startup, and then it's it's like it's it's all over the place. But but all what that's done is it's created an accumulative uh, amount of skills. Hmm. And if you, I mean, if you, um, I'm just going to mention, I mean, for me and, and my journey has been probably different to yours, but for me, it's always been that, um, what I call the, 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 the skillful pursuit, the pursuit of new skills. It's just, it's, it's accumulating skills in the pursuit of a particular purpose. And you'll see that that's pretty much where, what I, what I've created in terms of the, the website and, 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 and the way that I'm running these podcasts and so on. I like to interview people where, where you, you, you know, roughly what your purpose is, or you might be totally unaware of it, but it ends up coming out there. And I love that sort of trifecta of, uh, Music, technology, gaming. I mean, I just I, I love that, and and also taking advantage of of the shift of of all of a sudden rethinking the the world. You know, rethinking the way we do things that you don't have to be physically present. You can actually go and and do a lot a lot more. You can be live and uh, and and go hybrid. Um, you can be live in front of people, but also for people who can't make it and and not everyone's got the hybrid properly uh, worked out i mean if i look at the, in the corporate space but in music and in the in events and entertainment that must be pretty challenging to get to get the people involved there and and your concept of live being being sort of almost irreplaceable right now where we are I agree with that. I mean, for me, it's live is authentic. It's real. It's happening now. And it's, you know, whatever comes along with it is where your emotions and then all that, all that comes to the fore. So I'm loving the concept of, of saying, look, live is live. We're still human beings. We still appreciate that, but we can use the technology to reach more people. I mean, that's, I mean, I'm getting a lot of, a lot of really good, good stuff out of the what, what you've mentioned T tell us tell us wh where are you going now what is the what's the sort of what's the plan what are you doing right now and sort of where do you see this your 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 sort of your your product and and vaults and where where it's going right now so i guess there's i mean there's, there's two things within that 
One which is to your earlier point around live being live and kind of that being a centerpiece and, you know, just as a point of interest and again around your earlier point of an amalgamation of different skills and learnings and how things, you know, what you what you set out to do is rarely actually where you end up and it's always about the journey. But <clears throat> we actually started off as a VR first tool. The first incarnation of Alter actually was a desktop application where a creator would make their experience, but the end point would be consumed in virtual reality because you know, that, that seemed like a very compelling medium. Um, but what we found out very quickly was that it actually alienated users. Um, people felt very alone in VR when they were going to these inherently social experiences. And the reason being was, you know, you take a very social experience, like you just mentioned, a, you know, a live, a live, a live concert. Um, you put on a big kind of set of heads, a headset that blocks out all your peripheral vision it almost accentuates the actual experience such that you lose mm. smell, haptic feedback, any kind of kinetic touch. And you see your friends represented as avatars. And that actually made people feel more alone than what we tried to do was make it more immersive. And we had that, that feedback consistently. So we pulled out of VR very quickly, twofold. One, because of that, you know, trying to replicate the real world to our mind was nonsense. And it seemed very far away, you know, until other sensory inputs had been included in technology. But B, we never saw, we, did, we started very quickly to see that, you know, Despite sales of headsets kind of rapidly increasing in the beginning of lockdown, it plateaued pretty quick in terms of retention was actually pretty poor. Um, and for us to be a mass market product, you know, relying on VR was was kind of a fool's errand to our mind. You know, it's fantastic applications in B2B, but B2C was still a little bit muse. So that's kind of like addressing the past and a little bit around learnings and kind of what's actually shaping the future. Because mm. whilst we kind of move more into 2D distribution endpoints like YouTube's, Twitches, and actual screens live in venues. What's coming next and what we've already been prototyping, build, build, building, and have just won an, an Innovate uh, grant to do it, uh, which is a, a grant by um, the UK government um, to do this very thing, is we label as audience interaction. And ultimately, what that means is, is that a fan who's experiencing or watching this, this, this content, this experience, whether they're live in venue or on the stream somewhere online, they can actually mm -hmm. affect the fabric of what they're watching not just for them, but for every single person, both in venue and live stream simultaneously. Um, so how does that look? So for example, uh, we've done this at the Brooklyn Mirage in New York, which to our minds is the largest LED screen in the world, at least in a music venue. It's about 200 feet wide by 50 feet tall. It's so powerful um, that it actually need, it can't run on New York City's grid. It has their own huge generator system. Um, <laughs> And what we did there was exactly, so it's a huge, huge LED wall that wraps around 180 degrees of the club, a 7,000 capacity venue, uh, an open air venue. And, you know, we rocked up with just a laptop and an iPhone, powered the entire experience, uh, which is kind of our USP. You know, you don't need any special hardware or stuff you don't have. It's using the equipment you already do. And, and that powered that whole screen. But where I'm going with this is, you know, experience was streamed to Twitch simultaneously. So, you know, you had six, 7,000 fans in person, watching people like Nero and Dead Mouse and people like that. But the experience was streamed on Twitch. And we actually had investors on Twitch sitting in their homes in London that were controlling the walls of the Brooklyn Mirage simply by typing in keywords. So if you typed in the word Volta, this humongous tessellation effect came out across the screen. So if you typed in Brooklyn, uh, I believe the Brooklyn Mirage logo appeared in 3D and sort of bounced around. And that was a very early working prototype about 10 months ago, about 12 months ago. Um, but since where we're taking it now is in the direction of you know, there is no limit to what is interactable. That's even a word. Interactive, rather, I guess, uh, within Volta. You know, we built like a music 3D game engine. So mm. I could say, type in the word palm tree and a new palm tree appears. I could say, uh, type in your name and your name appears in the virtual DJ booth in the stars. Or will you marry me? And will you marry me appears. Or webcam. My webcam turns on and then I could be dancing in my living room, but actually appearing on the billboards live in venue. And it's this way that we're creating an incentive structure and what I should mention, sorry, is these interactions are paid for. Volta isn't, we don't tell artists or venues what to make interactive or how much to charge for them. It's all within the tool. You know, they have pure discretion because they might want one or two things to happen based off audience control. They might want a hundred things, you know, it's down to the venue to decide or the artist to decide. We just offer kind of guidance there. Um, you know, we're not a service business, we're a product business. Um, but yes, in that very vein, we've essentially created an incentive structure for fans to want to watch an experience live stream as opposed to just listen to it. And that therein lies the kind of, for us, the big opportunity here because, mm. um, you know, music is known as an under monetized market within the whole entertainment genre. It's the most consumed medium by a factor of three. 
yet compared to something like gaming, music only has a market cap of 30 billion, whereas gaming is something like 270 to 330 billion. And why? And we get asked this by investors, even our seed round, you know, why aren't you going after gaming? And we go, exactly. There's an opportunity to grow the music market by using gaming mechanics. Now, what, I, what we specified as audience interaction is not too dissimilar from Fortnite's in-app payment model. It's a very similar thing. You pay for some sort of add-on, some sort of upgrade. You get it. Everyone else in the experience sees it. Um, and we are basically applying that mechanic to music and actually creating it such that the fans can get closer to their artists. And if they're not able to attend the experience, they're at least able to control it from their bedrooms of a wall in a huge venue or a club in Ibiza or, you know, a classical concert, it, you know, in, in, in a... In a, in, a, in a hall somewhere. Yeah, I, I absolutely love that because because I think you, you you've taken and and this this is a podcast about marketing leadership and and it's about product pri uh, price uh, product market placement. It's about understanding your market, understanding getting a deeper and, and, and richer and broader understanding of who, which market you're actually serving, but also serve. Or provide the market with um, with the right kind of tool. What what's very interesting, what you've just said now is, is you're creating more of a platform than a product or service. You, yeah. You're creating this space within which people can be creative and and actually be able to reach their target markets at the same time. So you you you're an enabler, if you like, uh, from from a Volta point of view. You you're creating something that 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 could take what would be very difficult to distribute. Yeah, exactly. But now you're creating this ability to distribute to a much larger audience, which makes music or whatever the whatever the thing is you're broadcasting more accessible. And isn't that the one of the core principles about marketing is about expanding your your market, expanding and giving the ability of your target audience to 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 be able to experience your product or service the way. I mean, I I just think you've got You've got a lot of the the makings of that sort of marketing leadership um, mentality, where you've taken the, the component parts that are sort of age-old principles that haven't changed really, yeah. but you've applied it in an, in a in a in a completely new and modern way, and and you're pretty much breaking ground in in my view. I mean, I haven't I've looked around a bit, and I, there's nothing really some similar to what what you do. <laughs> people try. But I think you you're actually breaking brand new ground. So I don't know. Is is am I right in that that assumption? Uh, we think so too. It's surprising. I've never been. You know, I've I guess been a serial advisor and seen a lot of businesses in investment banking. I've never seen one that hasn't got a competitor, or at least a direct competitor. To our minds, we you know we have regular market research, consumer research exercises. People have tried it. People got burned very quickly. We are seeming our traction is perpetual for some, you know, and, and, and it amazes us. It worries us at the same time. We're very aware of first mover advantage not being an advantage. Um, but, you know, interestingly, I guess we've had a lot of tailwinds our way. You know, the concept of metaverse and Cerulean Interactive has been touted about in the press. So we just have so much inbound demand that we can't really service our own growth. And, you know, to go back to what you were just saying there before, Dudley, in terms of around, you know, that kind of flywheel that you started to, to lean on. You know, A, by helping artists monetize fans, we, our incentives are entirely aligned. So, of course, our North Star is acquiring artists and artists at scale. Um, so, yeah, you know, first principle, we're aligned with their incentives. And the other interesting thing is, you know, if you look within music, there's something like 40 million people identify globally as a musician. But that isn't a humongous market. That isn't a mass market product. We are VC backed. We are looking to be a unicorn. That is the objectives that, you know, our VCs bestow upon us in terms of portfolio management. Um, and that in itself probably wouldn't tick the box. And I've modeled out what things could look like if you have a subscription of the whole market and things like that. But when you add in the dynamic of the average musician has something like 5,000 unique followers across their channels, then you start to get very, very sizable numbers. And it isn't that pie in the sky thing, because we've seen this already of Twitch over the, over the pandemic, which was Tracy Chan, the head of music at Twitch, came out with a statement saying that in order to make $50,000 a year as a median income on Twitch, you only needed 183 concurrent viewers per stream. That was it. Now, of course, there's di exactly. The point there is you don't need a massive audience. You just need a passionate one. And you need something that creates an incentive structure that wants those fans to participate in that experience. Now, these are all the camps of, you know, quite sophisticated streamers that knew what they were kind of doing with these kind of prods. But the systems are there. The interest is there. 
Patreon has shown it, Fortnite has shown it. But the other thing I think might be interesting to share in this as well is, you know, so on one hand, we haven't put a paywall in between us and the artist, right? We haven't, we're not trying to make them subscribe. We don't think artists make enough money from their art. So why would we try and monetize them when actually we're going after the long tail of artists, you know, probably from mid tier and below to all the way through to bedroom performers. Um, and the reason being is it's scaling. But how do we get there? I think there's another interesting one, which is, you know, we haven't done any paid marketing yet um, in terms of outbound stuff. Our actually our marketing strategy is through a BD lens. So we work, you know, through our partner network to do these big flashy events. Now they are with big artists and that there, there lies in the juxtapositioning of we mentioned all these huge names, but actually we're going after the smaller names because that's where the market sizing is. But that's exactly the point. If we get to say we did Dead Mouse's show at this venue and look, you can do you can be Dead Mouse too. Just download the software for free from the website. Go and monetize your fans and Volta just sits in the middle as an enabler in this whole process. We have this very organic flywheel. That means it's very capital efficient. Um, mm -hmm. It doesn't have, and it's again, this whole point I started with of, you know, my prior businesses all have this locality element where you don't get these huge network effects and these kind of organic flywheels. Um, so that's this, this very piece as someone that's been very much at the forefront of marketing in my businesses is what got me very excited to joining it and fleshing out that business model and marketing model. Um, and it's great to see sort of two and a half years later, it's actually proving to be fruitful um which is always even better i guess when you've got an idea <laughs> and it actually works well the market votes with its uh, with its feet isn't it i mean yes. market the market votes by, by interaction and engagement so so the more engagement you get and and the more events and 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 and, and so on that you get to i think that when i did speak to you uh, i don't know a week or two ago i think you were you had just come back from ibiza and i think you know, you, yeah. Tell us a bit about sort of your you know, just again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And tell us, right. I mean, your your life is is all over. You know, you you pretty much, although you having sort of a hybrid model, but you pretty much going all over. Tell us a bit about sort of a, a day in the life of 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 Mitchell. So tell us a bit, sort of where you go, what you do, and and how you actually go out and promoting this and and, and speaking to people. Ah, uh, okay. I Difficult question to answer succinctly, I must say. Um, you know, it varies a lot, right? Uh, I guess just, just you know, for the founder lens, uh, you know, a Monday typically tends to be very internal. I think that's across the board. Tuesdays through Thursdays are BD sort of days or internal catch-ups and Fridays are sort of roundups or a kind of a little bit more actually executional focus work because like I'm sure most in this call, um, you know, days are filled up with, with meetings and it actually it's very hard to execute into the late hours. And our bigger problem is, yay, we're geographic, you know, we're geographically unbounded. Great, more opportunity. But downside is we work with LA, we work with Dubai. Time, time zones. zones. <laughs> time zones is a headache to say the least. Uh, and then, you know, when we look at events, there are sort of three criteria we assess an event on. Um, of course, one is, you know, if they are going to be paying us, that isn't our model, but, you know, we need to cover costs in terms of one of the founders flying over or someone marketing flying over, you know, what is the cost that the budget they have, but that isn't so important. That's more covering cost bit, but it's the case of, will this be streamed and will it be streamed to a large enough channel and will they be doing all the interaction? So that first condition of stream to a large enough channel, that very much lies into our marketing sort of flywheel. Um, if yeah. we're going to, if we get asked to do an event and it's low budget and, it goes off a channel that has a small audience. Well, then we know our upside is really the people in venue and maybe some people online. But if it's a performance that has a very large following online, that is usually where one of us will want to go because it means actually that this is an opportunity where we have 10 million captive users just sitting there on a stream waiting for us to display content. So that's the kind of <laughs> that's one of those criteria that we kind of look at and go, well, it's 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 marketing for us. We're treating this entirely as a marketing event. Um, and the interaction piece, that's because, of course, it's the forefront of our minds. It's where we think the future is going. So if a venue or an event is up for doing that, that's where we'll engage. So lofty answer. I mean, it really, really depends. And, you know, to kind of, I guess, add in some of that madness uh, in terms of travel and things being a little bit hectic. Um, I'm off to New York on Friday for three months but within. And that's just a relocation mainly for work because a lot of our investors and, and clients are over over in the States. Um, but within those, that 12-week period, I'm already traveling for six of it. So I'm kind of wondering what's the point of even going to New York. That's various trips across the different states, but then back to ADE, Amsterdam Dance Event in October in Amsterdam, then back to London, then back to LA, then back to New York. So it's it's all a little hectic. 
Um, and the crazy thing is we are do everything we try and do to minimize travel. It's kind of a piece within our, our brand mission and our mission statement, which is, you know, we don't want to do unnecessary flights. The days of getting on a flight to see one meeting or one person feels to us as a little bit, a little bit, um, a day of the past, but these, you know, genuinely when we get asked to do something before we know it, it becomes a 10 event series um where like for example at our basil in miami you know we were asked do you guys want to do something an installation for our basil okay mm -hmm. maybe let's let's kind of think about it and then within the last few weeks we've got another six or seven kind of partners who are interested in doing something at our basil and that's where we then go okay well this is worth our worth our time because it's not just one thing there's seven events all lined up back to back to back to back to back to back to back let's fly someone over same for AD in Amsterdam. There's 10 or 12 events are coming in the same week. So that one we've had to hire. We've had to hire. We've had to bring in a few developers and a few extra ground staff. Um, so there's sort of six of us going, which is how we ran Glastonbury, for example. When, when it's that level of high profileness and that intense, yeah, you do need a few more members of staff. And that's, again, we're not an event-based company, right? It's just we have to put that human capital on events to drive that online acquisition piece. Um, and it works out being far more effective for us. Yeah, yeah. And and what what's very interesting about what you're saying is that is is that it, it always seems theoretically possible to run sort of a remote type of business, but it tends to come back to the critical, the key relationships are built often face to face or on site or with the people that you need to because once you've made that connection and 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 you know i used to say once you've broken bread with somebody you've actually sat down and had a meal or a coffee or a or a pint or a something you more closely connected so when you do meet on online you you're, you're much more open to to you know i, I don't know uh, doing business and 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 building a further relationship, but there is there is a good mix. Again, it's a, probably it comes back to your model right now, which is hybrid. Some people like in person experiences, mm -hmm. others can't make it for various reasons, yeah. and and it also makes events, for instance, more accessible to a much bigger market. But there are there are uh, still certain principles again involved where being on site there's almost sometimes no replacement for it, but, but you also try and be as efficient as possible with your time. And I, and I think from a founder and from a, a startup growing uh, and also trying to scale the business now, that whole thing about time becomes probably the biggest, the, the biggest difficulty is the planning of the week is the planning of the day is, is where do you spend your time? And, and and if you if you not the you know if, if it's a low value activity, bring others bring someone in. Who else do you bring in? You've got to bring new people. You can maybe systemize it to a point, but you know, now you're starting to bring more people in. All of a sudden you've got a 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30 employee company. And then when you look again, you're a hundred, and you look again, you're a few hundred, and it's it's like, geez, what just happened? Yeah. <laughs> so Tell us a bit, sort of, where, where are you right now in that in, the, in that sort of journey in 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 trying to formulate? Have you have you sort of got your team together? Are you are you in in place yet to do that next sort of level up? I mean, with your with your background in terms of investment banking, and and I look at some of the the transactions that you you you've seen this at a big scale. You've seen this at a at a large scale with investment banking and so on, and working with various clients you've seen people do this and you've obviously seen the mistakes people have made. Yeah. Although the, the technology and all that's different, a lot of the business principles stay the same. So, so tell us a little bit about where are you, what's the space that you're in at the moment? Are you still sort of still start up finding your feet? Are you more at scale up? Are you, are you, you know, are you ready to, to, to take it onto a new level or, you know, and I know you're still still working out the actual product as well as you as you go developing the product as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess your first question in terms of time, you know, just just to kind of get make a funny, not funny point, but just, you know, being about ruthless about time. For example, yesterday I, I went left Ibiza last week for another event that was part of like a three part event series at Nija, which was the largest super club in the world up until I think a couple of about 10 years ago. Um, but anyway, we had to fly over to Bordeaux because a best friend's wedding was over there. And, you know, even when I left Bordeaux Airport on a Saturday, I had three calls from the car because I knew I'd be driving from the airport. 
Uh, I flew back yesterday on the way to the airport, had three calls on the flight. I took, I wrote all my emails cause I use superhuman, which has offline mode, uh, got off the flight, had another three calls driving back to my, where I am actually now. So apologies if there's any kind of embarrassing stuff, um, in the particular room I'm in, I'm in my family home because a lot of my stuff that I need to pack for New York has been here because yes, space is a, uh, a privilege in, in London where I where I live <laughs> and uh, my uh, other other things and stuff I can't fit in my apartment are here my, my family home which is outside of London so yeah apologies if there's any sort of a weird ornaments behind me um, but yeah in terms of kind of staging you know yeah you're, you, you're spot on I sort of seen I guess mid tiers growing to being ultra large caps in the investment banking space um, I've seen early stage a handful of times now across you know Volta, Nez and a couple of other business I advise um, company I consulted for for two years is Olio, um, which is all around um, stopping food waste at its source. And I joined them at Series A and sort of get to see. So yeah, I've seen so many different stages of companies and I've seen that whole kind of cycle mature from literally employee zero all the way through to employee 100,000. Um, and it, I find that being one of the most interesting things of a company once you've got it right, because once you've got things right and you're scaling up, it becomes very executional focused. Um, but what I really enjoy within the executional lens is, and that's often when you hire hired guns that have a brief that kind of follow a blueprint and will get on and go with it. Um, but I really enjoy the dynamics of company scaling um, and the kind of how important it is to get things like culture and systems in place from the earlier stages, because once you scale, those things become very sticky and it can even be simple tools. Like to give an example, I mean, I'm going a little bit off piece here, but uh, I'm not going to mention the company's name because I don't maybe want to slander, but um, it's a simple chat bot company that power I know quite a few people in the space. Uh, and it's simple for live chat, you know, for custom support tickets. And we built that into our core architecture and my last business because it was great for when customers had issues, a bit like how in Deliveroo or an Uber Eats, you know, you have an issue with your order, you, you come and do customer service. And that cost scaled to being our most expensive cost by a factor of 10 once we hit about 100,000 months active users, you can only imagine how we were, our, our knees were shaking. We got to 300K MAU. But the problem was, was any, any estimation we got from our CTO or developer of how long, how much time it would take to remove this was in the order of magnitude of something like two years of actual subscription costs to this platform. So we were literally like, <laughs> right. So we can either spend three months and this much money with all our development team just getting rid of something that costs us an exorbitant amount, but that's at the expense of growing the business. So yeah, I've even seen that weird dynamic play out with SaaS products and it's not scaling particularly well. So you take those learnings and look at not just from a, a people basis, but also a tooling basis and what really is going to set you up in the long run to be the right system so you don't have these expensive integration efforts. Um, where are we now? Uh, we are employee number 14 with eight contractors. Uh, we've just hired another two. We have another two positions available in the market. That takes up up to 18. Um, and then the beginning of next year, we're probably going to bring on another three. Um, and to be honest, all of this is ahead of expectations. We thought uh, we were done in about April. Uh, we closed our seed round, went on a, on a hiring spree and added sort of five or six more people. Um, but have had you know so much positive traction, I guess, since. That's been a great signal for us to go faster. Mm -hmm. um, we won, won an Innovate grant for half a billion dollars, which helped. But we also had a number of investors come and join the Volta journey off cycle without actually a formalized round. So Andreas and Horowitz, for example, joined two weeks ago, uh, which is a personal huge pinch me moment. Nice. Uh, following their work and their king making activities for many a year. Nice. Um, <laughs> and a couple of other names that I can't mention just yet. Um, mm. But, you know, we've been extending runway. So ultimately mm. that gives us the signals. Okay. There's no point going. It's not no point, but if the tide is in our favor, let's move faster and still being mindful of runway you know, concerns. But at the moment, we're sort of looking, we will be looking up to about summer 2024, which for a startup of our size is a little bit ludicrous. Um, and my kind of COO growth hack kicks in going, well, you know, let's at least champ for six months off that and move a bit faster when we look at the store of opportunities that we're turning down. So the terminology, sorry, long, long, long story, long answer to a short question. Uh, where are we? I wouldn't quite say startup and I wouldn't quite say scale up. For me, scale up is repeatable. It's more series A, B type activities where you know what mm -hmm. you're doing, you're rinse and repeating and you're just growing, 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 growing. We are, but we're not quite a startup because we know what we're doing and we know what our traction is. We're sort of somewhere in the middle because actually 
I guess our biggest problem, which is a champagne problem, but it is a real problem, is we need to crack down on a specific market segmentation and hammer that market rather than being a bit too broad. The problem with Volta is what we didn't realize when we built it was targeting music and adding in that visual performance layer on the surface seemed quite targeted and poignant. But actually, you know, I, just to give you a spitballing of segment of market segmentation, now you've got people that identify with being DJs, producers, vocalists, um, outright kind of uh, musicians in terms of just playing, you know, an instrument. I said just, but, you know, just focusing on an instrument. So that's the kind of four different styles of people. But then within those people, you have different genres of hip hop, uh, electronic, dance, metal, so on and so forth. Mm. You've also then got the dynamic of how big is that musician? Because if they have 100 followers, there's a very different dynamic and a very different approach to if they have 10 million or 100 million followers. So there's so many different styles and flavors of these individuals in this space. It's fragmented in our approach. And that's why music, again, has been quite a difficult market. Now, our tool is being used by all those different folks and different segments but it is an inefficient method of us going to deploy capital by just going we're going after music because that is very pipe dreamy like we you know and we're also systemically now trying to identify who and why we go after first as opposed to this other audience that we're seeing traction with and just to throw one other example out there you know what we do as a business and where our product is optimized for is for that hybrid sort of spectrum so within venue and live stream but we have people using us to make music videos we didn't ever expect, you know, you send out a tool into the wild and it's designed for one thing and people come back sending us, you know, stuff in Discord <laughs> emails like, oh, I did a real cool EP for my new music video, my new my new track. And we're like, oh, wow. Okay, that's that's really interesting. Uh, we didn't build it for that. But, it it almost our, becomes open source to a certain extent, doesn't it? Yeah, and we're like, okay, well, that's great. Why did you do that? They're like, well, it takes me, you know, it costs like 20, 30 grand to make a music video and like eight or 12 weeks. I used your tool. It took me about a couple of hours. I did it for my bedroom. It looks awesome. Um, and we're like, okay, right. We'll think about monetizing that at another time. Like, it's great. Okay, awesome. Because <laughs> we're even thinking like, oh yeah, crap, people can record stuff from it and put it in places and use it and stuff. Okay, okay, we need to think through that. But that's like, that's here lies in the problem. So not quite startup because we know we're getting traction, not quite scale up because we are, you know, we're not yet in that fully repeatable camp. Um, but I think we're, somehow been punching above our weight and i you know i put a lot of praise and merit onto just how much our network is and our network is genuinely insane textiles obviously helped a lot of that but i think being in the right place the right time helped a lot <laughs> um and you know we we haven't had to do any outbound stuff for example at all um yeah. If you think about, I mean, even if you think about the Facebook story, you know, um, Zuckerberg and, and his and his story. I mean, to a certain extent, he creates created a platform, and people just, you know, and then he started monetizing it and so on. I mean, just as a very broad, broad brush. Not that you like a Facebook. All I'm saying is he hit it the right t place at the right time yeah. because the technology was available at the time and they were busy developing it even more so, and then became the market leader and pretty much owns that space but now you've got the tiktoks of the world and they're they now taking over and that's become a different platform but that's now been for a different type of market again and then and they've narrowed it down to shorts etc i mean mm -hmm. i see i see youtube is trying to do shorts but i'm just just thinking about so you when you that point you made about what is your real market? Because there, there's so many different applications that you can actually go after. It's it's at some stage you got to make you make a decision. You got to decide, and and I suppose that's going to be the pivotal moment of where you say this is who we are, as opposed to everything else that we can be. I suppose that's the difficulty when you are a startup moving into sort of growth. Um, and the other difficulty you're going to have is as you bring new people in, new people come with new ideas mm -hmm. and new personalities and new dynamic and a new culture. And you end up having to repeat yourself in terms of what your vision is and so on and so forth. And then it becomes, how do I make this a standard issue? You know, yeah. like a standard, like an army issue, like this is your uniform. This is, these are the parameters within which we operate. It's like you can't just go off and, and, and do something else. It's, you know, at 18 or 20, 25, 30 people, it's okay. 
get to a hundred. I think you've seen it, you know, get to a few hundred, then you've got to have different layers of how do you build out the systems and processes and, and how do you make sure the messaging that you're getting across all the people that's, that are joining, especially people joining, many people joining at the same time, one person here, another one there, three there, whatever it is, every time you're changing the dynamic of your organization and you end up having to repeat that onboarding process again and again. But even getting your onboarding of new staff right is also a big job. That's not even just systemizing your business or even just finding a target market. I mean, there's, there's so many things you've got to still do, <laughs> which makes it fascinating, isn't it? I mean, I, just, I think it's a brilliant journey that you're on. It's, it, it's definitely a journey. Um, you called out some of the, yeah, definitely some, some pain points in terms of, um, you know, uh, shared visions and kind of onboarding and stuff. And, and look, we, we made it, I guess we categorize a deep tech business. You know, we've got a lot of gaming funds and VCs that are on board in the journey, but a lot of them are sort of deep tech investors too. Um, and that affords us a little bit more luxury in terms of time where we can be more thoughtful and actually diligent and intentional around some of the decisions we take. As opposed to, you know, some businesses that are VC-backed do have revenue pressures and GP projections and stuff like that. We, we, we are afforded a little bit more space because I think our investors look at this as such a humongous opportunity that being more intentional is, is probably worth it at the, at the, you know, the expense of expediency. That's not to say we're not moving fast, but, you know, that kind of what I've seen from different businesses. But in the context of employee management, um, one of the things that we were very, very keen on setting when we first started the business was this culture of challenging one another, um, not in an aggressive manner, but, but more in a case of we were acutely aware that we we're building in an industry called mixed reality, hadn't really been defined. It's a small industry in terms of the people that are within it, the actual available talent. And we were very worried about being in our own echo, our own echo chamber, you know, with our ideas and what do we think is going to happen? How's the world going to look like? And so on and so forth. So we created a culture of anyone, no matter their seniority, you know, being praised to actually challenge the norm. I'm like, okay, guys, like Mitch said this, but actually, do we really think that? Or what about this idea? So it creates and fosters this dynamic of not challenging for the sake of challenging, but almost intellectual curiosity and, 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 and you know, seeking evidence-based answers and moving from the realms of subjectivity. Now, that's great because it means that you know, everyone in the company feels very passionate about what they do. We've never had someone resign, neither we had to ever fire anyone in the three years of trading. We've never even had an offer declined when we've offered someone. But it, it's this dynamic of everyone's contributing by actually being a part of the conversation. Of course, you know, that's a woolier statement. Of course, it is still siloed to product or marketing or sales or whatever. And sometimes you get crossovers and we try and cross over and have cross-functional teams, but blah, 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 blah. But yes, that very nature of, challenging things and being intentional and thoughtful obviously is an issue is obviously one of the reasons why we are here now we're getting traction we're scaling very fast but we're still not entirely clear on where we're pushing it because you know unifying that set of ideas and unifying people's people's visions um until there is a weight and dearth of evidence it's still you know we're no longer subjective we're like on the way to objective but it's a new market. It's a nascent market. And we're applying something that we need to tr teach the market how to actually understand what it is. Um, and yes, the more broad we are in that, in that the way we communicate about ourselves, mm. the less helpful it is. So yeah, we're desperate to pinpoint on, we work with this market on this genre and they do this thing. And then we can describe ourselves because even our website language, we've had to be more broad stroke whilst we figure out and there's a plethora of exercises we're doing to figure it out and figuring out as quickly as possible. Um, but those things aren't a one week answer. Um, and they could be an <laughs> optimization exercise if you get it wrong. And it's probably going to ch change as, as you think you've got it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, that's fascinating. I, I, look, we, we're nearing the end of the, of the hour and it's been absolutely, it's been so fascinating having a chat to you about something that's completely different to, to to anything I've we've I've spoken about within my podcast audience, but I think the what's evident to me the same principles, same business principles, marketing and other principles apply. Also, making sure that 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 that, that you also know where you are in your in your sort of in that journey of 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 growth. Um, you know, from start through. You know, you you to be. I think to be honest with yourself in terms of yeah. This is where we're at. We're not perfect. 
I think just that in itself it says a lot. And I and and for me, a lot of people when they're in that startup space, you could end up running off into a, a delusional space where you thinking something is what then it's not. And what's what's really nice about the way you come across is that is that from an authentic point of view, you you actually thinking it through. You're saying, look, we're not perfect. We actually there are things we can fix, and probably a lot more things we don't even know <laughs> that we should be fixing. But or, or, or making changes and and even you know things like uh, like the software you mentioned you know what choices do you make and if if someone sort of is watching this this episode and and they're thinking about starting up a, a business or, or or they're in a startup phase you are going to make um, mistakes that will that you're going to pay for a, along the way you're not going to get everything perfect and at some stages you're going to have to make decisions that are a little painful but you need to just carry on and you need to understand which one in your own mind, which one is more important than the other. So, I mean, I think you're doing it absolutely perfectly. I think it's absolutely brilliant. I want maybe just as we round off, I, I want to just ask you, so, so out of all the things that you've done, because I look, I mean, you've got, if I look at your, your LinkedIn profile, I mean, you've got uh, complex negotiations executed over 30 billion pounds in trades raised, 20 billion pounds in capital for government institutional and large cap multinational clients. I mean, at that top end, <laughs> yeah. down to the, this end where, I mean, and, and there's a whole lot of other things. So, so if you could sort of pinpoint one, two or three sort of things that could take away like golden nuggets, uh, you know, for the audience, so what would they be? I mean, do you, do you have any sort of top of mind? And, 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 and what, capacity because obviously in terms in, of the in, in your in your experience like you've i mean you've gone racing driver you've gone economics you've gone investment banker you've gone uh, startups you've gone you know what is what has been something that that you could sort of say okay well that is a that is a little something i can share i mean i know it's probably a career focus you mean more sort of personally like life and career yeah yeah what what yeah. what can you what's what are your takeaways if you like out of where you are right now i mean certainly Wherever you start is probably not where you're going to end up. I think I think I could probably demonstrate that pretty quickly, um, you know. And that's kind of from a very past, but you know, I think really to drill in, um, you know, and it's a little bit around imposter syndrome. So, for example, people starting out in the career, I would always say start off at start off at a large cap or somewhere where you're going to get that very regimented learning and kind of pressure cooker type pressure cooker type of environment because. If you start in a startup or SME or something, you, you're not going to probably go to a corporate when you're, when you're later in life. Um, to kind of, yeah, the incentives just usually tend not to quite be there. But, you know, leaving investment banking was very daunting because I kind of thought I'm a derivatives financial engineer. I have a specialism in modeling. I work in between M&A IPOs in the markets. Who the hell is going to want me doing anything else? And, you know, started fleshing out this startup idea. Um, and this is a big one actually to kind of throw out there now I think about it, but you know, going from a very cushy salary at one of the world's biggest investment banks in a team that was number one in the world to zero was painful. Um, and I thought, you know, what skill set am I going to have that's going to be helpful on this journey? So I doubted myself massively. There was two of my best friends I went to school with that were sort of calling me and kind of kind of pushing me and nudging me in that direction. But long story short, you know, for 18 months, I didn't make a penny of salary at my first startup. Um, that was a choice, admittedly. Well, maybe not so much of a choice. It, we didn't have much money when we first, we only raised a hundred grand to start with. And, you know, that went all into the product and hiring devs and stuff. So, you know, where I'm going with this was a, um, I was happier every day for those 18 months than I was in IB. Mm -hmm. And that's not kind of to slander the IB sector. I actually really enjoyed it. I learned a ton, but I was building something I was interested in. I felt mm -hmm. like my learning had plateaued in IB and that was always something of real interest to me, especially the younger, you know, when I was younger, which is always feel like you're learning something, that you're adding something to your toolkit and that you feel like you're a better person tomorrow than you were today. Um, I kind of plateaued a little bit in IB because, you know, nothing again with IB, but it's very executional focused. When you're doing these massive deals, there are you and a hundred people working on them. You know, you're specialized in a certain piece and there's only so many deals that are genuinely unique before they all merge into being the same thing. But a startup every day felt exciting and new and I was trying new challenges. So, you know, those 18 months of making zero. Sure, I was hustling. I was burning my savings. I was renting my room out on Airbnb and staying my parents <laughs> over a week a month. I was renting my car out on 
whatever car rental website would take me. I'd rent my car parking space out. And even I'd even look after dogs. And like there's a website called Telstar where I'd look after people's dogs when they're on holiday. Like any way to passively generate income to, to, to allow myself to, to live this crazy journey I was doing. But I was still happier doing that than I was at ANIB because it was something I chose to do. Um, and then second of all, never discount a single skill you learn in life. Like I discounted derivatives, financial engineering and this and that. And sure, those hard skills I learned in banking, yeah, they've been somewhat useful, especially now with Web3. They've kind of come full circle. And now we're looking at, okay, well, how does fiat currency and crypto and tokens work? And, you know, I, I can make it to another example, but I'll ramble. But yeah, ex- you know, that, that financial plumbing has really helped me understand how we could apply Web3 thinking or do apply Web2 thinking to Volta. Um, but, you know, the soft skills, no one really talks about the soft skills so much. Being a 21-year-old, all the way through to 25, younger into internships, but then, you know, sitting down in a boardroom with CEOs of the, with the biggest companies on earth and commanding that, you don't really kind of, you don't really acknowledge that at the time. But when you then go to a startup and, you know, you're then facing SMEs or smaller enterprises and, you know, you can not own any conversation, that sounds horrible, but you can present yourself in a manner and actually and actually deliver what you need to say in a well in a way that's, that's done well that's a massive skill set that you didn't quite i didn't quite appreciate being able to network and walking into a conference and actually finding it normal to go and talk to people like i, I and i can get tremendous amounts of social anxiety sometimes and i actually have to kind of look back to ib and go what did i do there when my boss was saying you will bloody go and do this now <laughs> and like <laughs> i got forced into doing it so sometimes my older me comes back and the social anxious come back and i just go what have i done as ib um, so yeah, you know, I guess two big ones, don't ever discount a single learning, um, ever. And I guess money doesn't, at least personally, it really doesn't buy happiness. And I've never, ever, ever optimized my life ever since around anything that's monetary. I love it. No, that's, that's, that's been absolutely brilliant. Mitch, how can, how can people get a hold of you? I mean, what is your, I mean, as we come to the end, I mean, tell us, tell us sort of, sort of how can they get a hold of you if they're interested in Volta or chatting to you or anything like that? What is the best way for them to get a hold of you? To be honest, I'd like to say this isn't the best way, but it actually really is. LinkedIn. Um, you know, I'm active on LinkedIn. I'm a COO. I'm a networker and a partnerships guy. Um, so, yeah, you know, please, please come and find me on LinkedIn if you want to reach out. Um, it's Mitchell Goldman. Um, slightly short, and I think we have his Mitchell Bear Goldman here, my double-barreled. Uh, it doesn't roll off the tongue so well. Um, but, yeah, come and find me on LinkedIn um emails my inbox just gets a bit crazy and i've got so many different things and i wouldn't want an email to get to get um to get get lost thank you so much uh mitch it's been absolutely brilliant chatting to you um we've come to the end um any any last words any final words you you want to share um difficult well we're on the clock and i can see where it's ticking to um apart from look thank you so much for having me i've really really enjoyed the session um and it's you know been awesome coming on the show having seen having seen a number of them prior um i hope this is relevant and helpful for the audience and honestly if there's any questions anyone has do reach out on linkedin i am active on linkedin um i only believe i've got to somewhere where i feel happy in life because other people have helped me you know volta nearly didn't get through a seed round about a year and a half ago and other founders went out of their way to make investor introductions and to advise and, and, and all sorts and you know, I look at that experience and many other experiences in life where I know you were all a function of asking people favors and helping one another. And I really, really, truly believe that and mean it. And I spend a lot of my time helping just with intros to people because it's like, look, if you just had these five intros that I got given a year ago, that's enough for you to go and get like, you know, three months of this or, or X number of sales of that. It's so much can be happened for a simple introduction. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really, I've, and I've benefited so massively from them for all my life. So yeah, I really, you know, whether it's asking me for an intro or going out there and kind of going, do you know what? It's not, it's not a failure to go and ask someone for a hand or for, for help. One of those two rhetorics kind of works pretty well for me. Yeah. I love that. Thank you very much. Uh, Mitch, thank you. I'm going to say goodbye to the audience. Uh, hold on for me for a second. I'm just going to say goodbye to everyone. Thank you very much for joining us today on uh, on our podcast, uh, Fractional CMO, the the marketing leadership podcast, where we talk to what I believe. I mean, Mitch is a, probably a great example of a marketing leader. He doesn't he he probably hasn't considered himself that uh, in in that sort of way. But from our point of view, if I look at the the the, the journey he's been on, 
and even the, the different experiences. I mean, some of those takeaways of making your own choices, making your own decisions, following through, um, doing what it takes, making sure that you 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 start understanding the dynamics of the business, etc., and also then applying the principles um, and and the things that are uh, I would say built into us as human beings, but applying it in a different way. And I think the this is such an exciting um, uh, exciting uh, uh, technology and a and a way further way I think that that makes the, the world probably more connected more global and and gives people the ability to to share their skills and talents via a, a platform like like Volta but I think the the, the crux of it is is really um, Mitch showing that endurance even doing the dog walking and all that type of thing to see his way through and also then making sure that, uh, that he's connected with the right people and and just keeping at it and, and keeping focused, understanding that there are challenges along the way, but not being um, thrown off course uh, and, and every time taking the opportunity when he was given it. Thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, hopefully that was inspirational as it was for me. Uh, hope you can join us on our next podcast of uh, the Fractional CMO, the Marketing Leadership Podcast. Um, all the best. Have a fantastic day and we'll chat to you soon. Thank you. Hi, everybody. This is Dudley again. And if you need help with a future or existing post-merge integration, I want to invite you to arrange a free, no obligation meeting with us. During the meeting, we'll find out exactly what you need, what your challenges are, and we'll explain how our unique PMI slipstream method can help you. Simply call us or visit mergerintegration.co.uk. That's mergerintegration.co.uk or come to our website, skillfulpursuit.com.